Welcome to an all new episode of Chiefs Wire Podcast. I'm Ed Easton Jr. On today's episode, I sit down with the Chiefs Fan of the Year nominee, Dr. Amy Patel, as she shares her favorite moments supporting the team and why Patrick Mahomes is her inspiration. Also, we check in with the weekly press conferences for the latest news from the Chiefs heading into this weekend. But first, as always, we start off with Chiefs Wire Managing Editor, Charles Goldman. Okay, Charles, anything that stood out to you from the Week 10 win over the Jaguars? Yeah, I so the defense, I, for me, the defense really stood out. Now, entering the week, the Jaguars had allowed the second fewest sacks in the NFL. And they've had, like, really, really good offensive line play this season. Not just, not just um, you know, defending the pass, but also running the ball, too. And the Chiefs just dismantled that um, in the run game and the passing game. They allowed, uh, I think I believe it was 12 or 13 sacks or something like that. And Kansas City's defense recorded five sacks on Sunday. So, you know, more than more than a third of uh, of what they'd surrendered in the season. They surrendered uh, on Sunday um, against Kansas City. And... You know, what was more impressive, only two of those sacks came when the team brought extra pressure. We know that Steve Spagnuolo this season has been a little blitz-happy, but, um, you know, uh, uh, three of the sacks were just from four-man rushes, so they were getting pressure without sending the blitz. So I thought that was a positive sign because they hadn't really been able to do a lot of that this season. Um, and, and it's especially important heading into this week, into the Chargers game, where... The Chargers are now the NFL's leader in, in fewest sacks allowed this season. So, you know, we'll see if uh, the Chiefs can can go two weeks in a row dethroning the the NFL's leader uh, in in sacks allowed. But um, and then you know on the, in the ground game they they held Travis Etienne and to like I think it was forty five yards, which or whatever it was, it was his lowest rushing total since the James Robinson trade. So I thought that was a positive and, and rather important, too, after the struggles that this team had earlier uh, this season defending the run. So, I mean, overall, I, I was really impressed with that kind of front seven and how they handled pressuring the quarterback and, and defending the run. Do you believe Isaiah Pacheco may have solidified his role as the starter after last Sunday's performance? Yeah, I, I think so. Um the, the Chiefs have been trying to get this kid going for a while now. And, you know, I think uh, things came together for him in the run game this last week outside of the, the fumble, obviously. Um, but even that, you know, I mean, people were kind of um, comparing it to when Kareem Hunt fumbled on, on like his first career carry. And then he came back and just was, you know, pissed off and, and running hard and had, you know, huge debut. But, um, Pacheco is really starting to see his blocks and running the ball well and, um, you know, having an idea of where to go within the scheme, you know, how to follow his blocks, which I I think that was the biggest thing, his biggest issue all season long so far. You know, he had a few flashes here and there, but he also had a lot of runs where it was just like run into a pile of bodies and, uh, you know, he missed a cutback lane here and there and stuff like that. So, I think that you're seeing that part of his game develop in a positive way. And um, and now, it's not to say that Jerick McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Alaire won't get opportunities. Um, Ronald Jones, I'm not so sure. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Edwards-Alaire had a big game against the Chargers this week, potentially even lining up and playing some receiver. 
um, with the injuries they have. But I, I think they're going to keep starting Pacheco with this idea of, okay, if we can get this kid rolling, you know, um, and, and get the running game rolling to start the game, we're, we're going to go with him and, and try to bully our opponents a bit because, you know, his, he's got this physical running style that, that, you know, no other player on this team really has. And, and that's going to wear down opposing defenses through four quarters. So I, I think that that's where they see the value in Pacheco and having him, um, you know, potentially go out there and, 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 you know, and starting these games and, you know, um, giving him an opportunity to get rolling early uh, before potentially, you know, uh, doubling back and saying, okay, hey, we need to diversify a little bit if, if it's not going the way they want it to. What was your reaction to the hit on Juju Smith-Schuster not being penalized? Yeah, I, you know, I thought it was pretty bogus, uh, especially when they threw the flag and then picked it up. Um, you know, S- Smith-Schuster clearly in a defenseless posture. That that you know, refs the refs stated that. Um, however, they deemed the hit to be shoulder to shoulder after the fact. Now, clearly, one official didn't agree in real time, or the flag wouldn't have been thrown initially. Um, I think again, it just it really points to the need for for clear guidelines uh, for these types of hits, especially ones that result in head injuries. Right? You know, Andy Reid was kind of saying it after the game, like, you know. Shoulder to shoulder hits don't cause you know players to get concussed and you know uh, and whatnot. There's clear contact uh, between you know the defender and the head and neck area, um, and, and you know clearly it's just it's one of those things. I I think you know also a sky judge to come in and make a ruling in the in a situation like that like that that's why I feel like that's a good idea. Like those are the types of situations where I feel like it's a good idea because it's really hard for the officials uh, and it's really hard on the players too. I mean, you know, um, Patrick Mahomes took some, some, uh, uh, some of the heat for, for the hit because he threw the ball where he threw the ball. He said he kind of, you know, I mean, he, he led him to that hit. Now he's trying to make a play. The defender's trying to make a play. Juju's trying to make a play. I, I don't think there was any intentionality, but officials are not officiating atten- intentionality either, uh, at least not in those situations. So um, I, I just think there, there's got to be some way that, that they can go back and make that right call. And, you know, I, I actually thought that the no call on, on Marquez Valdez-Scantling was actually more egregious um, than the one on Smith-Schuster. I, I thought there was at least some, like, area of interpretation with Smith-Schuster, but reading the rule... Um, you know, on, on the Valdez Scantling hit, just to the letter of the rule, that was a penalty. Um, go look it up yourself. Rule 12, Section 2, Article 9, B3. It covers illegally launching into a defenseless opponent. Quote, it is an illegal launch if a player, one, leaves both feet prior to contact to spring forward and upward into his opponent. That was done. And two, uses any part of his helmet to initiate forcible contact against any part of his opponent's body. Well, MVS was in a defenseless posture. Andre Sisko launched himself with both feet leaving the ground and his helmet was the first thing to contact MVS. Like there's, there's no denying that those are all undisputable uh, based on the video. So look, that should have been a penalty. 
I think that the NFL is going to come out and find Andre Cisco for one or both of those penalties. Um, and, you know, there's going to be a serious discussion when owners meet um, about, you know, how these types of penalties are being enforced when there is a head injury. Do you believe the emergence of Kadarius Tony will stall the development of Sky more moving forward? You know, I don't really think that one thing will have much to do with the other. I think that, um, you know, Chiefs fans have some unrealistic expectations for, for Sky Moore this season. And that's probably in, in part, uh, you know, my fault and, you know, other analysts' faults um, because, you know, we liked him quite a bit. I know I liked him quite a bit coming out. Um, we thought, you know, he was going to be a little bit further along maybe than he is, but. You know, you got to think he is a group of five wideout coming from Western Western Michigan, coming into a very complex NFL system, and, and you know it's a big difference compared to an SEC wideout in Kadarius Tony coming in and picking up a similar offensive scheme after playing you know one point five years in the NFL. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think those are are all too too related that you can't really um you know, look at one thing and, and glean much from the other. But, um, you know, there's always going to be this learning curve for more. The talent is very clearly there. You've seen flashes of it uh, when he has had opportunities to get the ball. Um, it's just a matter of catching up to the mental part of the game for him. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, and what do I mean by that? It's like, you know, the interception uh, that Mahomes threw. I'm trying to remember what game it was. But, you know, he came in and said after the game that, you know, that that he wanted the route run a different way from, from Sky Moore. He thought that, you know, based on the leverage of the defender, that Moore was going to run it a different way, be in a different spot, ends up throwing a pick. That is something that, you know, young player, he needs to learn and will learn. Um, now, you know, learning process could happen this week. It could come the playoffs, even next season. I, I think... You know, the Chiefs also did a bit of a disservice uh, with with the punt returner stuff and, and more. Had they been focusing on purely developing him as a receiver and kind of limiting what was on his plate and just, like, focusing him on this one thing, hey, let's learn this for your rookie season, this specific part of this role, um, have you doing this within the offense, I, I think that his rookie season would be going differently. I think the fact that they put such an emphasis on him learning – something like punt returner that he had never done really before during his career um, that, that that really kind of stalled out his development on the offense. And, you know, but all the people that are already writing him off, all right, they're letting their impatience show. Like this is going to be a very good player in the NFL. You just got to give him, got to give him his time. Okay. Now on to the chief's wire mailbag. Ask chief's wire. Mark Shepard writes, do you think the Chiefs will re-sign Colin Saunders? Ooh, <laughs> King Binky. Um, yeah, I think I have to. I think they have to strongly consider it, uh, just given their defensive line situation heading into twenty twenty three. Along with Saunders, you have Derek Nottie and Taylor Stallworth hitting free agency. Um, Chris Jones has a huge cap number that the team's going to have to figure out something with that, whether that means extension or whatnot. Um, who knows? But and then you have Tershawn Wharton, um, who will be coming off the the torn ACL. So you got a lot of questions um, in this position group. And uh, re-signing Saunders, even coming off of a career year, could go a long way to help creating some answers 
for 2023. He's already proven this season that he can be a force stopping the run and he can win those one-on-one pass rushing repetitions when Chris Jones gets doubled. So that's important. I think um, I think that it's important enough to keep him here. And, uh, you know, I think you can maybe get him on, let's say, a three-year deal worth around $20 million. I think that would be fair for him, uh, for what the market is, and um, and would be good to, to, you know, keep around a third-round draft pick um, who's emerged kind of as a defensive leader and a good locker room presence and really a nice player for Kansas City uh, in, in his fourth year here. Ask Chiefs Wire, Gina Franks writes... How big is the Chiefs-Chargers game, and why is it so big? Um, I, You know, I think uh, it's probably bigger for the Chargers than it is for the Chiefs, right? Because a a loss um, essentially puts the Chargers three games back in the division um, and, and fighting for a wild-card spot. And I, I don't know if you've looked around uh, the AFC conference here, Gina, but it is a very tough very tough AFC conference. There's a lot of competition, a lot of teams that are going to be competing for wild card spots. And um, right now, a lot of them have the upper hand on the Chargers, uh, especially should they lose this game. So, you know, um, I, I think it's going to be really, really do or die for them. Uh, another game where it's kind of their their Super Bowl, so to speak, against Kansas City, right? Um on the other hand, I, I think Kansas City is going to be kind of willing to empty the clip uh, on this game, so to speak. Um, even with the injuries they have at the receiver position, I think this is one of those games where every play in the playbook is on the table uh, in order to try and come out with a win. Because, you know, having that advantage within your division, that's going to take some of the pressure off to be perfect down the stretch, right? I mean, obviously you want to be perfect and maintain control of the number one seed, but you wouldn't have the to feel this pressure to like keep pace that you know some of these guys are climbing up and and trying to to beat you because you know beating the chargers twice essentially i mean i I said it puts them three games back it really puts them four games back because they have to you know hope that they jump a game ahead of kansas city because kansas city would hold the tiebreaker so um yeah it's um it it, it, it's something that i i think it's going to be bigger for los angeles but, you know, if, if the Chiefs lose, they're not going to really, you know, they're, they're not going to feel it quite as much. They're going to feel some pressure, but it's not going to be the end of the world for them. However, I mean, it, the Chiefs could end the Chargers season on Sunday Night Football in Week 11. Ask Chiefs Wire, Connor Clements writes, what's the key to beating the Chargers in Week 11? That's a good question. Um... Right now, the Chargers are really beat up on the defensive line. Uh, they put two players on season-ending injured reserve, and they released another defensive lineman uh, this week. So, and, and they're also one of the NFL's worst teams defending the run this season. Uh, they've allowed over 1,300 rushing yards, 11 rushing touchdowns allowed this season. So. I'm going to say that coming out with a strong rushing attack could really benefit the Chiefs in this one, could be key to beating the Chargers in Week 11. Uh, It's convenient, too, given the injury situation at receiver, but, you know, whether it's Pacheco or McKinnon or Edwards Hilaire, they need to jump out to a lead and lean on the running game. That will will really hurt the Chargers uh, if they cannot stop the run, cannot stop the Chiefs' run in Week 11. Lastly, are there any particular stories from Chiefs Wire you would like to highlight from the past week? 
Yeah, so we've got a ton of stuff recapping the win over the Jaguars in Week 10. Uh, we covered Isaiah Pacheco's uh, emergence, his fumble, uh, Kadarius Tony's big game, the no calls on, on Smith-Schuster and Valdez Scantling. Uh, we have some cool content coming up here from, from Ed. Uh, he spoke with Dr. Amy Patel, who's the Chiefs uh, 2022 Fan of the Year nominee. Um, and, and, you know, that's cool conversation. Interesting to, to get to know a fellow fan, obviously. And, um, you know, uh, Chiefs Kingdom needs to need show out. Show, we, we always do great with these um, voting, these online voting things. Let's show out for, for Dr. Amy Patel here. Um I, I, I don't know how long voting's up. Ed, Ed might be able to tell you that a little later, but, um, uh, you know, uh, we, we should go out to, to, you know, vote for her, show uh, the rest of the fans in the NFL what we're all about. Obviously, we've got plenty of preview content on the way ahead of week 11 over the next few days. Uh, as always, we appreciate you guys tuning into the show and supporting our work at Chiefs Flyer. You know what we go with now. Go Chiefs! Hi, Amy. This is Ed Easton from USA Today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Um, obviously, we got to start off by saying congratulations. Uh, you're the nominee for the Chiefs for Fan of the Year. How does it feel? Oh, my gosh. I Words can't express. I'm still on cloud nine, and it's surreal. I'm like, did, did this really happen? <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's, such a, it's such a great honor, considering that there are uh, millions of uh, Chiefs fans around the country, and uh, you're the oh, nominee. Yeah. You're the nominee this year. So you're, you're basically uh, the, the main person to go to in regards to Chiefs fans for this season. So no pressure. No pressure at all. I mean, I, I literally feel like I won the lottery. I, I really do. And I feel so honored. I don't take the honor lightly because I know there are so many diehard Chiefs fans. And I want to win this so much for the kingdom. I, I just, I'm going to pour my heart into this leading to the Super Bowl. That is great. That's exactly what everybody wants to hear. But I just want to get a little background on you so you can kind of help sell yourself because there's a whole voting process that goes on on NFL.com. Can you just give everybody a little background about yourself and how you became a Chiefs fan? Absolutely. So I am a Missouri gal through and through. I grew up in, I uh, was born and raised in rural Northwest Missouri, in Chillicothe, Missouri. Uh, went to University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine for medical school, University of Kansas, Wichita for radiology residency, uh, Washington University in St. Louis uh, for my breast uh, radiology fellowship. So I have been, you know, Midwest through and through. And I have just loved the Chiefs as long as I can even remember. Um, my, you know, my parents, my dad specifically, just absolutely loved the Chiefs and sort of, you know, indoctrinated my brother and I to love the Chiefs. The weekends were reserved to watch Chiefs games. We couldn't afford to go to the games. You know, my parents immigrated uh, from England uh, there from India originally, but they immigrated from the United States to the United States from England in 81. And we couldn't afford to go to games, and uh, but we would always watch them on TV. So I said, you know, one day when I become a doctor and I can get to the point that I could afford season tickets, I'm going to go for it. So in 2019, I finally got to that point where I could do it. And I never looked back. And, you know, just all the years, the highs and lows, I've uh, stuck with them through thick and thin, you know, anywhere from the, you know, 
from obviously the Mahomes era, but you know the Steve Bono days. I mean, we have been in the Marty Schoenheimer days, and the, you know the highs and lows that came with that. I just absolutely love the Chiefs. Uh, I love all Kansas City sports teams, but the Chiefs are very near and dear to my heart. So this honor, it just I couldn't be more appreciative of it. And for the you know the Chiefs to not only recognize my fandom, but the community impact that I'm trying to make in Kansas City when it comes to breast cancer care and access. That is amazing, and I, and I would say obviously, Dr. Patel, uh, you said 2019 is when you are first getting season tickets. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So I finally could get to that point in 2019. So, <laughs> so you were there for the. But I feel I feel good about it. I feel like I earned my way. You know, like everything I've done in life, I've had to earn. You know, I didn't grow. We didn't grow up with a lot of money. I had to earn my way. But you know, through the highs and lows of you know whether it's my family trying to make it, you know, uh, and just becoming a physician and what comes with that, the Chiefs are always like the constancy where they can bring you and they do bring us so much joy. But I certainly. I would not consider myself a Fairweather fan because I definitely stuck by them uh, through the, the challenging years as well. I just love the team. I mean, if you truly love something, it's unconditional. Oh, definitely. And I, the reason I, I brought up 2019 because that, that was the season leading into the uh, Super Bowl victory. So, I, I, yes. I, so I, I don't know. I'm just putting two and two together. Uh, were you the uh, the difference? You were that, you know, being able to get the season tickets just took them over the, over the top. So uh, I'm going to give you that. I'm giving you that honor. I know you don't have to accept it, <laughs> but I'm going to say that it's yeah, you. I, I highly doubt it, but I, I do appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And I, I do want to, you know, talk a little bit about your Chiefs fandom. Uh, can you actually uh, point out a uh, uh, your favorite moment, if you could pick one, of all the years you've been following the Chiefs and uh, just discuss it a little bit? Oh, man, yeah. Honestly, there have been so many incredible memories with the Chiefs, but the, the memory that, I mean, is just really sticking out to my mind is, honestly, last year with the, that Bills and Chiefs game, um, 13 seconds, I think nobody will ever forget that. I mean, and that literally I do feel is the the, the best game I've ever watched uh, when it comes to the Chiefs and and I believe now on ESPN they're even showing that as one of the the best you know games ever um that really I mean my I literally felt like I was about to have a heart attack just like everybody there I mean, we all had the same feelings and for what was achieved in such a short period of time in the team unity and coming together and Mahomes and Kelsey and Andy Reid having trust in Mahomes and it was just I, I words can't express I mean to me that is the most memorable um out of all the years that i've watched the chiefs i've just never seen anything like it oh it definitely is uh you're talking about a game with 13 seconds it means so much more now since that game and uh you being on hand for the just the atmosphere the crowd and everything that happens there uh, since like i said you're a season ticket holder and you're always in the crowd at arrowhead stadium can you just give people because I feel like a lot more people are starting to learn just how loud Arrowhead Stadium gets. Can you just give them a, a nice like understanding of how loud it gets out there? Yes, it is truly thunderous. I mean, it is booming. You can't hear yourself. You know, my husband and I go to all the games. And I can't even hear myself talk to him and vice versa. And he's literally sitting right next to me. He has to literally, you know, he's taller than me. And he has to literally kind of crouch down and yell in my ear 
uh, what he's trying to say because that is how loud and deafening the sound is in Arrowhead. And, you know, the, the, the Chiefs are always saying this in press conferences and, and specifically Andy Reid uh, about how they, he appreciates the fans because we really can be the great equalizer when it comes to certain games. And, and we do feel that as fans, we're helping the team when it comes to crucial situations when there's really pivotal third downs. Uh, we really feel like we make a huge difference when we play at Arrowhead just with how we can amplify that sound on the field. Oh, it is definitely heard. I trust me. I've heard from different, even like opposing players uh, that we've spoken to. They always talk about Arrowhead Stadium without hesitation is the uh, loudest place to play. Uh, just um, from your own experiences, or or even maybe what you would like to do. Is there a player that you have met or you do want to meet that is a current chief or former? Oh my gosh. I mean, I would be grateful just to meet any one of them because I, I love them all. And, but obviously, I haven't met any of the players. Uh, I would love to meet, obviously, you know, Patrick Mahomes. He's such a leader on the team and, and not just, you know, his, his prowess on the field, but I watch his leadership skills. And, you know, in my practice an institution uh i am in a leadership position i feel like i can learn a lot from him he's younger than me but he's very wise beyond his years and i think that leadership is a rare skill and for him to develop these skills at such a young age i find it really fascinating so the nerd in me really analyzed not just the sports aspect but these qualities such as leadership so if i met him i'm I'm pretty sure you know i would just pass out actually Hey, that's 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 definitely good to know, and I and I, I, mean, I have to ask a question that I whenever I do interviews and and I've talked to a lot of celebrities that are Chiefs fans and they always get stuck on this question. So I want to pose this question to you as well. If you had a choice and you're putting a team together and you can only choose one tight end from all the Chiefs history, who's it going to be? And I know it's always that tough choice when you got Kelsey there and you got Tony Gonzalez. But if you had if you had a choice, there's no wrong answer here. Who are you going with and why? Okay, so that's really ch- challenging because the first two that came to my mind are Tony Gonzalez and uh, Travis Kelsey. But I would, I, without hesitation, uh, I would pick Travis Kelsey. I mm. think that what he has brought to the team. I mean, the number of consecutive games that he's played, uh, he never gives up. Uh, just his resilience on the field is something that I've never seen in any tight end that plays for the Chiefs. I do feel he will stay with the Chiefs until he retires, which his loyalty to the Chiefs, I think, is something that we need to make note of. As much as I love Tony G, we do know that he did leave uh, to go to the Falcons. So I, you know, and just from, you know, him being a Midwest guy, uh, connecting with you know him on that level. I think the fans really can relate with him, relate with his family uh, and his his upbringing. So, uh, but you know, he, outstanding on the field, truly exceptional. I have to go with Travis Kelsey. Okay, Amy, and um, thank you for everything you've been uh, talking to us about. But uh, before we let you go, I have to ask. Well, I would like to get clear to clear the. Uh, Let's, let's just clear the way for you to, to give your last pitch to everybody listening right now as to why you should win and be the fan of the year in the NFL. So how would you give your, your last pitch for everybody that's out here that may not be Chiefs fans for you to be fan of the year? Yeah, I would say that I 
bleed red and yellow. I have been a diehard Chiefs fan since I came out of the womb. And that was the whole impetus for me coming back to the Kansas City area to practice in 2018 was to amplify and to improve expert breast imaging and breast cancer care in a part of the country that badly needed it. And so for me to be able to elevate breast cancer care and access to the Midwest population and in turn also serve Chiefs Kingdom, it's truly been a dream come true. I've poured my heart and soul into this coming from Harvard University to bring my knowledge and skills back to the area. So to be able to serve Chiefs Kingdom, share Chiefs Kingdom uh, is a dream come true. And I would tremendously appreciate everyone's vote because I want to win this for the kingdom. Dr. Amy Patel, thank you so much. Uh, we're all rooting for you. And uh, let's hope we uh, have a great rest of the season and look forward to the postseason. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, it, I feel lighter. Um, obviously, you know, being able to get that accomplished is is a huge milestone and accomplishment that, you know, um, as a young player coming to the league, that was a goal. Um, playing 10 plus years, getting 100 plus sacks to be in that elite category of the guys who have ever done it. Um, so get that done today and to share it with a guy who has potential to be up there as well uh, was a very special moment. That's a good question. Um, putting me on the spot, uh, you know, personally, um, I think it's a, um, a tribute to all the coaches' investment. My family, who's here, I don't know where they just went. There, oh, my family, my family, who's here. Uh, my mom, um, her investment. Her and my dad laid the foundation and helped me um, and guided me along the way, nudged me back in between the railroad tracks when I got off the tracks um, to be the person that I am today. To be able to have the opportunity to get 100 sacks, because you know a lot of people don't get that opportunity in my neighborhood and where I'm from, and a lot of people who still make it to the league still don't get to get that opportunity, so this is a huge milestone and a, a tribute to my coaches, my family, my teammates, my community. Um, this is a celebration and a milestone for all of us, um, but obviously, you know, if you know me personally, you know I'm not done yet, and there's a lot more things that I want to accomplish, but we're going to enjoy this 100 mark. I want to take the moment to thank my guest, Dr. Amy Patel, for sharing her excitement on being the Chiefs nominee. Make sure to please vote for her on NFL.com. Thank you for listening to the Chiefs Wire podcast. I'm Ed Easton Jr. Check us out next week.